there's a good likelihood that it might not be a worker-friendly, you know, Biden administration that is, in fact, in control of the those departments, you know, a few years down the line when maybe some of these enforcements uh, have to come into play. And so it may be, you know, God forbid, another Trump administration. It may be, you know, it may be a less more corp- pro-corporate, less worker-friendly uh, administration that is, in, ch- in fact, in, uh, choosing or whether or not to enforce uh, those provisions. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just to be clear, you know, Bernie is not uh, saying that uh, that this microchip shortage shouldn't be addressed. He's he and and his people who are agreeing with him are just, you know, they are just saying that they don't believe that a no strings attached taxpayer funded giveaway to wildly profitable tech companies is the best means of doing so. Yeah. And, you know, so it is a critique that exists. And, you know, obviously this did pass. Um, but, you know, there are it is not without people questioning the validity of, of all of the progressive bona fides. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to close out uh, on this, you know, without specific uh, amendments in the bill itself. Right. The Commerce Department and any other institution like this are very much controlled by the executive branch. So yeah. a different president coming in can completely change how how these uh, kind of funds are given out and also policed. Right. So, you know, without specific verbiage, I think it's an incredibly valid concern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, I mean, so just to sort of wrap this up, because we are running out of time here, um, the bottom line is that, you know, the government is absolutely right to want to rebuild U.S. microchip, the U.S. microchip industry um, and to to bring jobs back, you know, in manufacturing, reshore them, bring them back to this country. Um, But, you know, it it should be considered. it should it should try and do so in a way that benefits all of our society and not just specifically a handful of wealthy, profitable, powerful corporations and their CEOs and their investors. Um, and so, you know, we it is yet to be seen how this will be enforced and whether or not, you know, the Biden administration will push on those provisions that the enforcement provisions that they put in there. But, you know, this will likely, as, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, be kind of a blueprint for how maybe other industries are, are incentivized or, or asked to reshore jobs. And so if if in fact this is the model and it, and the enforcement goes by the wayside once you know it actually goes into effect, we may see that like other, you know, instead of instead of using a stick to try and incentivize other companies to to bring their stuff back and to to really make it pro-worker, we may see this type of leg, uh, legislation that is just sort of handouts to corporations written by corporate lobbyists and so, you know, obviously it remains to be seen and we will keep up on this as uh, as things play out with it. But we, of course, are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in to Labor Radio. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Ellie Gilland. Have a great night. We'll see you next month. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be Good evening and welcome to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Uh, tonight we are talking with Chaplain Mike Zeusman um, of Laheim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Uh, Chaplain Mike, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I'd like to start first um, by just asking you about your organization, Laheim Jews Against the Death Penalty, which um, I just learned about recently. And um, I, I see that you've already been very, very active. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that organization? What is that about? Certainly. Uh, well, we are still relatively new on the scene. We, um, we came in, uh, we were spurned into existence by the federal killing spree uh, of 2020 to 2021. And that's when uh, the federal government killed uh, 12 men and one woman, one woman on the federal death row. And um, so uh, as, a, as a federal chaplain, I took that personally and I, I would start writing letters to everybody who would get uh, an execution date. And among, uh, included in the letter was a sincere apology on behalf of the American government and on behalf of uh, the American people for what we were about to do to them. And that led to um, correspondence with, um, with a lot of uh, these, with three of those individuals. Uh, and uh, in some cases, very copious correspondence, regular emails back and forth. And uh, that in turn um, uh, uh, led to uh, uh, the creation of this organization. Um, we are very closely tied to Death Penalty Action, which has been around uh, much longer and uh, which does really frontline work uh, throughout the country. And uh, it happens that the founder of Death, the co-founder and director of Death Penalty Action, Abe Bonowitz, is Jewish, and so. Uh, we both put our heads together and decided to um, start up L'chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. And the, the MO is to mobilize the Jewish world um, to recognize that this is indeed an abomination and that we are doing going to do our best to A, make all of those who are in line for, for killing know that uh, a big chunk of the Jewish world and a growing chunk of the Jewish world is against um, their killing, and to be to uh, make uh, all governors um, and policymakers know that the Jewish community is growing in its opposition to this horror, and so we call governors every single day, governors who have active death warrants in their states, and C, to um, share resources throughout the Jewish world um, to educate uh, people as to what the death penalty is today and to what our sages would have said about it. So um, we're, we're very active, because, particularly because we correspond regularly with those in line for, um, for both Jewish and non-Jewish who, who are on death rows throughout the nation. Thank you. Um, what does Jewish tradition say about the death penalty? Can you address that? Sure. Uh, well, uh, Jewish tradition is, um, is always evolving. So depending on when you ask that question, you would get a different answer. Um, if you go by what the, the Torah itself says without any interpretation, you will see many, many cases where the death penalty is allowed, including if you curse your parents. I myself would be dead. <laughs> How about you? I would be long gone, put to death. Yeah. Um, so rabbinic law uh, uh, it, it interpreted that interpreted what the, the, the Torah had to say. And um, 
we see uh, many different um, comments on us throughout the Talmud, and I don't claim to be, I'm not a rabbi, I don't claim to be a Talmudic scholar, but what I've learned about this is that we see a general trajectory of increasing limitations and um, uh, of uh, different points to restrict the application of the death penalty in a way that, in my mind, and I'm not alone in this, uh, would conclude that they're essentially legislating it out of, out of existence. And um, to be sure, even in the Talmud, there were dissenters, people who still supported the death penalty, but they did not have the, um, these resources that we have today that disprove that, um, um, for instance, um, deterrence is a fallacy, that, 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 that you know, disprove the idea of just deterrence and, and show that it instead is a fallacy. Um, in the many, many famous uh, uh, commentators, though, would, would, be a, would be aghast at what we're doing with state-sponsored murder. Commentators from the oral law, uh, there's Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon, who famously said that, uh, you know, a rabbinic court that put to death um, uh, one person in 70 years is a hanging court. Um, there's Maimonides, most Maimonides, who uh, a century or thereabouts later said something to the effect of, it's better to put to death a thousand, it's better to spare, to spare a thousand guilty men than to put one innocent man to death. Um, and finally, as our Jewish tradition is evolving and responding to the times, we see Jewish voices the likes of Elie Wiesel and um, Martin Buber, uh, giants who uh, lived through, uh, in various ways, the era of the Holocaust, uh, Elie Wiesel himself being a survivor of the Holocaust. And when Elie Wiesel was asked about what he felt about capital punishment, he famously said, death is not the answer. And he said this, quote, with every cell of my being and with every fiber of my memory, I oppose the death penalty in all forms. I do not believe any civilized society should be at the service of death. I don't think it's human to become an agent of the angel of death, end quote. And the last thing I'll say, uh, if we talk about Jewish tradition and Jewish culture and Jewish peoplehood and Jewish identity, uh, is the fact that many of the methods that we use in, in the United States, including the most uh, uh, common method for state-sanctioned murder, is uh, our, our direct descendants um, of Nazi measures that were killed, that were used to kill our ancestors. We have um, Zyklon B, the gas that was used in Auschwitz, now available for use in Arizona to put people to death. We have gas chambers being erected in states throughout the country. And the most common form of execution, lethal injection, was first implemented by the Nazis as part of Achtung T4. And that's the protocol used to kill people deemed, quote unquote, unworthy of life. And that protocol was devised by Dr. Karl Brandt, who was the personal physician of Adolf Hitler. Uh, Cantor Mike. Um, what would Jewish tradition offer instead of the death penalty, say for people who commit murder? That's a, a great question. Um, the uh, Going back uh, to some of the earliest sources, including in the Torah itself, there are um, 
uh, other um, practices that are employed, including what's called cities of refuge for people who uh, commit certain uh, degrees of involuntary manslaughter. Um, when it comes to, um, to what the Jewish tradition would say about what to, could replace it today, um, I am informed by what our tradition uh, calls uh, uh, tzedek, tzedek, tirdof, justice, justice shall you pursue. And uh, that is a call um, from um, uh, the book of uh, the book of Deuteronomy, which uh, compels us to do uh, to be informed about what, exactly what type of justice we want to see. Now, what does justice mean when we say justice? For me, having been a prison chaplain myself, I am fully a supporter of what we call restorative justice practices. And those are practices that are aimed at, uh, not at punishment, but at restoration and at um, um, really bringing, uh, recognizing that people can and do change and helping them to give back to society uh, in, in, in ways that they might want to. And so I believe the way I interpret Jewish tradition, it is fully on board for me with restorative justice practices as a replacement for the death penalty. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that some people uh, who I've met myself uh, would not be safe for themselves or others were they to be um, uh, released on the street. There are individuals who I've met, who I feel for, them, for their own safety and the safety of others, do need to be in a safe place, a restrict, uh, environment um, that uh, allows for um, restoration. Uh, uh, the current form of correctional institutions that we have, I see are, are, are failing miserably overall. They're, um, uh, you know, places where abu rampant abuse can take place because there's no oversight, there's lack of transparency, and it's rife for punishment and um, devaluation of humanity. So I don't see this current practice and the way we have going in our prison system working. Don't get me wrong, there are many um, shining lights and examples of where it does work. And I don't want to, I don't want to, um, sweep a broad uh, brush against the whole thing. But in general, I believe it's failing. And um, I, I think that if I were to triage, if I were to triage the whole prison system, um, you know, I'm a hospital chaplain, so I think look at, look, use that word triage and, and, and say, what is the most um, uh, lethal and the most threatening aspect of that prison system? To me, it's the death penalty because it's the one part of that system that actively puts people to death. Don't get me wrong, there are other parts of the system that are abhorrent, but this one needs to go. We cannot have any, any um, uh, uh, claim on hum civilized, humane practices or um, on doing the right thing when we are killing people. I'm reminded of Dostoevsky, Theodore Dostoevsky, and I'll paraphrase this quote, he said something like, you, you um, the greatest measure of a civilization is taken by entering its prisons. So what does it say about our civilization that many of those prisons actively kill the people that they claim to rehabilitate and correct? Um, 
Thank you. Uh, we're talking today with Cantor Michael Zussman, um, the founder of Laheim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Um, Cantor Mike, if people want to find out about Laheim, Jews Against the Death Penalty, where can they go to find out about that organization? Well, thank you for asking. We are um, on Facebook. We are, uh, if you type in L apostrophe C-H-A-I-M, uh, colon, Jews against the death penalty, you'll find us. Um, L'chaim, by the way, means to life. So um, this, is, uh, this is a traditional Jewish toast that's made um, uh, often at, at simchas, at joyous occasions. But the toast is a reflection of the Jewish um, idea of uh, the rabbinic notion of pikuach nefesh, saving a life. And even in the book of Proverbs, we read about, um, you know, you shall, you shall chase after uh, a life. You shall, you shall pursue life. And um, so that's what this active abolitionist organization is all about, saving a life. Um, and, you know, we, we take a stance only on this issue, right? But clearly um, in, in, the, in the popular consciousness today, we're talking, we, we hear all about these terms pro-life, right? Uh, leaving all that aside, in this way, we are 100% pro-life because we are against killing human mm -hmm. beings. How how do how do we make the defense though against people who commit really heinous crimes like um, you know the Tree of Life shooter or mm -hmm. the Buffalo? Uh, the Buffalo shooter. I mean, when some when someone commits mass murder and they're motivated specifically by hate for Jews, hate for people of color, hate for Asian Americans, hate for queer people, what kind of a what's an appropriate response to someone like that? Well, for me, um, it's uh, it's uh, comes back for me to to where my own journey on this issue. Growing up, I used to be pro-death. And my grandmother, who just passed away a few days ago, she was 101, and she was a Holocaust survivor. And I would hear these stories growing up about um, the people who uh, took the lives of her family, of my family. And there was no doubt in my mind that anybody who would do such a thing deserved to die. I mean, I was very, it was just obvious, no-brainer. Well, uh, then uh, I became prison chaplain, and I got to see people who had done horrible things and made awful mistakes, and then see how they changed over time. And, uh, and then uh, that led me to do some research uh, and to find out that even in the case of Adolf Eichmann, who was famously you know, um, put on trial in Israel and eventually given the death penalty and put to death, that there were um, high-ranking and well-known uh, people who stood up against that, including Martin Buber, famous uh, theologian mm -hmm. and author of I and Thou, and mm -hmm. others who spoke up to Ben-Gurion saying, no, do not put this man to death. It, 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 it lowers us to the same level as those who would have committed state-sponsored murder. So, um, the the death penalty is profoundly racist in its administration. Um, can you talk about how the death penalty specifically targets people of color? Certainly, uh, I'm. I don't claim to be an expert on this, but I 
I recommend um, the, the resource Death Penalty Information Center. And if you type in Death Penalty Information Center, DPIC, and then the word racism, you'll, you'll get their, their study and actually their uh, meta study, the study of studies on the issue. And my understanding is that the way in which, um, one of the ways in which it's most racist is that um, if, if a victim in a death penalty case um, uh, or potential death penalty case is, is white as opposed to someone of color, there is a much higher chance that the perpetrator um, will, uh, will get the death penalty than if the victim were someone of color. I forgot the exact percentages. Apologize, I don't have them offhand, but you can uh, you can get them uh, on that on that website, uh, and that's been um, corroborated by many studies um, across the board. Um, your organization regularly holds online vigils for people who are um, facing execution. Here, here in Oregon, we uh, we haven't put anyone to death in a, a long time. Uh, the death penalty still technically exists in our state, but um, the governors, uh, several governors, have had a moratoriums on administration of the death penalty at least since, um, I, I believe, at least since the early 2000s. Um, can you tell us about some of the people that you've recently either held vigils for or you're about to hold a vigil for? Certainly. Um, well, let me just uh, clarify that the Lachayim, uh we don't. We're not the ones who um, who organize the vigils, but we join them. We join the vigils organized by our, our sister or parent, if you will, organization, Death Penalty Action, and they um, they make sure that there are vigils um, for every single person where where there's an execution pending. Um, the role that that I often do representing Lachaim is usually twofold, uh, sometimes more if I know the. The, the execution victim if, I, if I've gotten to know them and they, if they request a song then I will learn that song and, and sing it but I will um, first and foremost uh, chant the traditional Jewish memorial prayer for the alleged victims I say alleged because yes many are guilty not all you know the, 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 I think the latest I heard is like for every nine nine people that are um, put to death or, or given the death sentence one is um, one person is removed from from the uh, death row because there are there's so many uh, cases of uh, wrongful conviction and I've known many people who've been put to death who I will go to my grave feeling did not commit the crime for which they were um, sentenced so that's why I say alleged regardless the victim uh, there was a victim, whether this person killed them or not. And so we start with that person or people and offering a memorial prayer for them and asking that no more blood be shed in their name. Then uh, I will also offer um, Psalm 23 uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, it contains the line, um, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because in these cases, we are putting human beings in the valley of the shadow of death in a very unnatural way. You know, I work as a hospital chaplain, and um, I, I work regularly with, with people who are dying. Um, and even those who know they're dying, it's, 
unless a person um, has a, a physician-assisted suicide, which I know in um, in uh, in Oregon happens, unless that happens, a person is not going to know their moment of death. And when somebody does not want to die, unlike in physician-assisted suicide, there is an inherent psychological torture with counting down the moments to that person's death. And I've witnessed it time and again in correspondence with people. And, um, and so when I say the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, this is a torture that we're, we're putting them through. And oftentimes, by the way, the people are, are um, put in that valley, right? Uh, under torturous, uncertain circumstances, not knowing until the very moment if they're gonna be taken away. We had one person, uh, Matthew Reeves, who was, he was one of two people killed on January 27th, which was International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, his was in Alabama, and um, Donald Grant was in Oklahoma that day. Um, but for Matthew Reeves, um, we were talking with him at the vigil, and he didn't know what the Supreme Court had ruled in his case. We were, we were all still waiting. Turned out we found out first. He didn't know. He was, he was waiting there. And then finally, he got the news, um, and they took him away and they killed him and before we did the, and you can see that that's online if you go to my blog at the times of israel um times of israel blog uh, there's a video of it where we sing a uh, chant of shalom peace and he expresses his gratitude and then he finds out that he's going to be killed and they take him away and kill him i'll give you another example um the next person in line to be killed in our nation kasul chantakuman who is an Asian American uh, from Laos, and um, he uh, is on death row for the uh, alleged crime of the murder of Sarah Walker of blessed memory. And uh, Kasul is one of those for whom I will go to my grave, believing that he in fact is innocent of this crime. And um, we have abolitionists trying our best to increase awareness of this. Um, and it's it's an uphill battle um, because people have the fallacious belief that when DNA is involved, it's sacrosanct, and they fail to realize that DNA is not is not um, the um, uh, fail-safe proof or disproof that we think, and that it too can be tampered with. Um, so, for various reasons, I believe that he is innocent. Uh, we also have the fact that Sarah Walker's late father, Joseph Walker. Uh, time and again said that he did not want Kasul to be put to death time and again and even at one point was on the on the record as saying that he also doubted that Kasul was guilty and yet on August 17th and in, in seven days here we're going to be um, putting him to death and um, we are uh, in regular correspondence with uh, Kasul have been for a long time. He's been on what's called death watch, which is um, solitary confinement where um, he's even further separated from everybody else. He's been on death watch for longer than almost any other person I've known. And I think one of the longest in the history of Texas because he had a previous death date that was um, uh, pushed back. But the way Texas works is that if you still have a new death date, you still are kept on death watch. So he's been there for months and months waiting to be put to death for a crime that I believe and and he 
did not commit. And that's where we are. Thank you. Um, Kendra, Mike, my final question is, uh, what do you think it will take in this country to change people's attitudes, to change public policy around the death penalty? Uh, do you see a way forward? I do see a way forward. Um, and the way forward is from the bottom. It's from the bottom up. We cannot rely. We cannot rely on politicians. We cannot rely on um litigators on, on, um, on uh, judicial authorities. Um, I think politicians get caught up by what they think the public wants. And I'm speaking in general terms, don't get me wrong, there are good people out there, but um, in general, it's, um, it's, it's turned into a political game for many of these people, and they wanna do only what's best for their campaigns. Uh, promises are made and not kept. Um, in, in terms of uh, uh, those caught up in the law, people will hide behind the law, I think, to, to um, carry out their own agendas. Um, and the law itself is not, is, is not um, infallible. So we can't expect it to take care of itself. There has to be a groundswell from the bottom up of people standing up and saying, this is not what we want. This is not what we think America stands for. Um, and to recognize, because I think a lot of Americans don't, that 70% of the nations of the world have abolished the death penalty, 70%. And here we are aligned with China, Iraq, and um, uh, Iran, um, and uh, many other countries that still carry the death penalty. And um, and it's a shame. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it, it, that's one of, one of the articles I wrote is, is that um, the first step to saving America's soul in my mind is abolishing the death penalty. And to answer your question, uh, Emma, it, it has to come from the ground up. It has to be demonstrated as the people's will. So I don't have the outreach myself to reach everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm an ordained Jewish clergy person. Um, I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty involved in social media and my goal is to increase awareness in the Jewish world. But that's just a, we're just a minority here. You know, I think it has to happen in every, um, every corner of the, uh, of the nation. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking tonight with Cantor Mike Zeusman um, of Laheim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Um, Cantor Mike, one more time, if people would like to find out about Laheim, where can they go to find that? Sure. Uh, it's uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can find uh, Lachaim right on Facebook. Um, if you type in Lachaim, L apostrophe C H A I M, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Um, and uh, the other uh, the other place to go is Death Penalty Actions website. If you go to Death Penalty Action, all one word, dot org. Um, and then uh, you can just go to that, or you can go to that and then backslash Jewish dash action. You'll find all of our petitions and resources that we've gathered to highlight the Jewish perspective on this issue. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Prison Pipeline. We've been talking with Cantor Michael Zussman of Laheim Jews Against the Death Penalty. Thank you so much, Cantor Mike, and have a good evening. Okay, you too. Thank you. Baby, you understand me now If sometimes you see that I'm mad 